right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. I am Kay Wright, your CEO of the Air Force Aid Society. Today I have a, I always say I have a special guest uh, with me, but this is truly a, a, a special guest. Uh, today we have with us uh, Gary Sinise, and you all may know uh, Gary simply as Lieutenant Dan, but he is so much more uh, than that. He's an actor. Uh, he's a director. He's a musician. Um, he just uh, wrote a, a new book uh, called Great for American, which has gotten rave reviews. Uh, he's been nominated for an Academy Award. He's won an Emmy and a Golden Globe Award. Uh, just an all around a great American who has dedicated his life uh, to those who serve to include military and first responders, defenders, uh, as as he and his team typically refer to him as. And uh, it's just an honor to have you with us, Gary. So welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, hey, let's let's dive right into uh, your your new book. Now, uh, it, it sounded a little familiar as I was reading through uh, this this bit about having a bit of a troubled uh, childhood. And when you were coming up, you didn't write, didn't quite have the, uh, the direction that you wanted. Uh, what what changed? How did you get on the right path? Gosh, um, well, I you know I. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. That's when I was a kid. So it was a, kind of a bit of a turbulent time with regards to the Vietnam War and uh, things that were going on during my high school years. Um, my, my family also moved right during that period of time. And I don't know, uh, you, brought, you made moves yourself when you were a kid, I'm sure. And it's always somewhat disruptive, you know, when you have one group of friends and you're, you're at that early teenage uh, part of your life and then you move somewhere else and you, you, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere trying to figure out who to connect with and whatnot. So I ended up um, probably, you know, connecting with um, you know, just finding people that I could relate to and uh, it was, you know, it was a kind of a difficult time in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, and uh, a lot was going on back then. And I got into a, a bit of a trouble. Plus, plus I was just, um, there was something uh, that happened in those early childhood years where I just didn't learn the mechanics of academic life, <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, okay. I, I didn't learn how to read very well when I was a child and I didn't learn how to, to write very well. And uh, I just struggled academically in school. And that, that really made things uh, difficult for me, but I did, uh, I did connect to this artistic side of myself, which was music uh, playing guitar. And, and so I ended up in some bands when I was young and, and then I fell into, into, into theater in high school just by accident and uh, started acting in high school plays. And that, those two things, music and theater were the sort of driving forces. I did, I did like uh, sports when I was a kid, I played football and and baseball, but when I got into high school, everybody was bigger and better than I was, and so I fell into music and theater and ended up doing that, and that, that kind of saved me in a way. Um, certainly, uh, 
theater was something that, you know, and acting was something that I ended up making a living at. So I found it at an early age when I was 16 years old during a kind of turbulent and troubled time for myself as a high school kid, but ended up doing, doing okay with it. And then it ended up, who would have thought way back then when I couldn't read or write that I would end up writing a book and it would end up on the best seller <laughs> list. I, I would have never thought that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we're all, <clears throat> you know, glad that you discovered acting and music because it's, it's brought us to Gary Sinise that we know today. Now, I, it, I find it interesting, and I wonder if you ever thought about joining the military. You had a, your, your uh, grandfather, uh, Dan, who served. You had an uncle, uh, uncles Jack and Jerry, who served. Uh, did you ever consider, and I think your father served as well, right? Yeah, my dad was in the Navy in the early 50s. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. did you ever consider uh, going into the military? You know, again, um, the veterans in my family <clears throat> were uh, are very important to me, and the, and then I met my my soon to be wife, and her, she had Vietnam veterans in her family, her brothers, and her brother in law, and and uh, but the veterans in my own family, by the time I was old enough to comprehend <laughs> things. Um, it was sort of well beyond their service years. So my, like my grandfather, for example, you mentioned uh, Daniel, he's, he was an ambulance driver in France in, in World War I when he was 17 years old. And yet by the time I was born in the 50s, I mean, he was well beyond his army years. And, you know, I don't ever remember my grandfather talking about his army years. And, you know, Okay, I I wish oh I wish I had talked to him. He served in World War One on the front lines, you know, driving our wounded back and you know away from the battlefield and everything. And I I remember seeing you know stuff in the trunk, you know, in the basement, you know, his old uniform or something like that. But never once talked to him about it, and nor did I spend much time talking to my uncle Jerry either who served in World War II um, uh, in the Navy. Um, he died in 1996. I don't ever remember talking to him about his war years, but I did get to spend some good time with my Uncle Jack uh, before he passed away at 90 years old. And he, he was in the Army Air Corps in World War II. Um, it, but it was much later that I connected with my Uncle Jack on his war years. So, so to answer your question, the veterans of my own family, I, I didn't know much as a kid from them and didn't think about military service at all. In fact, I was growing up during the Vietnam War, and I remember my parents, you know, my mother especially, being it, it, very, very scared that um, – I would be drafted because I was such a bad student. She thought, oh, for sure, they're going <laughs> to grab him and, and take him. Well, hey, uh, I tell you, man, you know, you know you've done more mm -hmm. than enough for uh, the military. And, I, and, and, and again, I can't thank you enough. And, and you know, we've crossed paths at uh, a couple of uh, galas, USO and, and other things that, that you've been so, so supportive of. And, and so your contribution to the military has just been amazing. And uh, we all serve in our different right. 
And uh, you don't have to have you didn't have to have uh, served in the military to have had the the huge impact on all of us that you've had. So, uh, again, that, let me just say, say thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for serving. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, no problem. Uh, uh, let's let's jump to uh, your foundation. Now, uh, what what encouraged you or what drove you uh, to to come up with the Gary Sinise Foundation? Well, gosh, it's a series of events along the way. Um, I tried to document some of these things in my book. Like, uh, you know, I started out in the book. I wasn't sure what I was going to write about exactly. But then I started writing about some of the things that I've done in the last uh, 20, 25 years with uh, our military and our veteran community and some of the support and some of the trips. And then I started to think, well, maybe it'll be interesting for people to kind of see the journey of how I actually got there. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, just this past weekend, um, our video guys at my foundation uh, put together, they, they dug up some old footage in our archive of my very first USO tour to Iraq. Mm-hmm. It was the first tour that I did for the USO. Uh, 18 years ago, and they assembled this footage, and it's online now um, of my very first tour. And uh, I remember, uh, and there's a moment where I'm speaking to thousands of troops in this big arena or whatever it was, and I say to them, "This is my first USO tour, but it's the first of many. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do over my lifetime." and Little did I know that I, I was serious about that because it turned into one trip after another, another and a hundred USO tours over in the, in the coming years after that and multiple things that all came together and into the creation of the Gary Sinise Foundation. And just so many um, trips, so many hospital visits, so many military support nonprofits that I started working with to try to help more of our service members during that time. And then I, uh, 10 years ago, in fact, uh, next week will be the end of our 10th year. We'll begin our second decade next week of the Gary Sinise Foundation. And so I thought it would be a good, good thing to sort of look back at uh, some of the beginnings of that and see how far it's come. It really has come a long way. We've got multiple programs, and, and I'm very, very proud of the team that we have uh, assembled. It started out with me and a couple other people, and now it's a pretty giant organization operating all over the country and, uh, and overseas as well. Yeah. Hey, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about the, the, the things that the the foundation supports. I know uh, you have your rise to relief and resiliency, uh, community outreach, education, and then your first responders. Uh, just give them a, a little bit of a taste of what exactly you guys do. Yeah, there. Thank you um, for asking. There, there's there's like four pillars, and uh, in all of these pillars, there are subsidiaries and and um, multiple initiatives within those pillars. Rise is. Uh, that you mentioned, it's, it's called uh, RISE, Restoring Independence, Supporting Empowerment. That grew out of um, 
an effort to uh, to begin building specially adapted smart technology housing for badly wounded service members. And I was a uh, I had met um, <clears throat> the very first soldier to survive a quadruple amputation. He was blown up and he lost both his arms and both his legs mm -hmm. in April of 2009. And about two weeks after he arrived at Walter Reed, I was visiting uh, the hospital and I met him and saw him. And about six months later, uh, I was shooting uh, CSI New York, my television series, and we were shooting in New York. We, we, we were based in Los Angeles, but we'd go to New York every once in a while and shoot. And I had been involved with the FDNY, uh, supporting them in various ways after September 11th, 2001. And they came to my set, Some uh, the, the commissioner of the fire department actually came to my set and said, we have a Staten Island soldier who lost both his arms and both his legs, and we'd like to build him a special home just, just for his needs. And I said, I know who you're talking about. I met him uh, six months ago. And they said, will you do a concert to help us raise money to build this home? And I said, absolutely. And we set up the concert. And then there was another quadruple amputee that came into the hospital blowing up. And so I said, well, we got an, another one with the same injury. I'll do a concert for him and let's build him a home. And that started um, this effort to give mortgage-free housing to very, very severely wounded service members. And then when I started my foundation, we, we created the program. So now we've done over 70 homes uh, all, around the, all around the country. Uh, just gave one away just a, a week or two ago. Again, uh, we're constantly doing it. We do about 10 homes a year. And it's, it's a beautiful program. And then within that rise uh, pillar, we, uh, we give out mobility devices, you know, wheelchairs, especially uh, uh, specially adapted vehicles, you know, trucks and stuff with hand levers and all that kind of thing. And that's just one pillar at the Gary Sinise Brown Foundation. There's entertainment and education. There's first responder outreach where we support fire departments and police departments all across the country. Uh, you know, they get... I mean, when you think about our first responders, you know, they can be called like that to a scene of an accident. And it's a it's horrific, you know, some car wreck with a family in there or something like that. And then they got to They've got to deal with that and then go home to their own family and then go back out the next day. And it can be it can be it can be difficult, difficult work that that our firefighters and police officers are doing every day. So we try to support them in different ways. We've actually built specially adapted housing for police officers that were, that were shot. There was one, one guy in the St. Louis area who somebody came up behind him and shot him in the neck and paralyzed him from the neck down. And his wife is his full-time caregiver and clearly he had to retire and he had some special needs because of his giant wheelchair and breathing machines and all the things. So we took up the charge to provide some housing for him. And we do that all, all across the country in various ways. It's, it's a beautiful program. There's so much going on. I, I, it'd take me all day to, to explain it all. 
Yeah, no, I think we'll make sure we put the link to your website uh, where not only people can see the, the great things that your foundation is doing, um, but also uh, I noticed there is uh, an opportunity for those of us who would like to, to be able to donate to to, to your uh, particular causes. And, and, and I think uh, uh, certainly all of us Americans and certainly us who have uh, served in either the military or as a, a first responder uh, are, are all willing to, to be able to support the, the foundation. Now, I also understand that you're going through a bit of a leadership change. Uh, you got a new CEO coming in, uh, Mike Thurtle. Uh, tell us about uh, Mike and, and uh, how you think he's going to do as your new CEO. Well, we uh, currently our CEO is uh, General Robin Rand, a four-star retired uh, from the U.S. Air Force. Yeah, I, I used uh, to work with General Rand. Absolutely. Did you work with him? Oh, yeah. fantastic. Well, uh, wonderful friend. Uh, we actually met when he was a colonel, and he was running Kunsan Air Base. He was uh, the wolf pack there, and he was the wolf at yeah. the Kunsan Air Base in Korea. And I was doing my first overseas band tour where I took my band to Singapore, Korea, and Diego Garcia. And one of the stops in Korea was at Kunsan, and I met Robin. We became friends, and then he went to Luke Air Force Base, and uh, he got pinned as a one star there, and I took the band over there. And then he, he went to this base and that base. He went over to Iraq, and I visited. And we just became very, very good friends. When he was retiring, I needed – additional leadership mm -hmm. and he he raised his hand to come in and help me but he was unable to move his life from Colorado to California where we're based and everything like that so we we knew at some point that we would have to get back to a, a LA based uh, CEO or executive director and so we we began our search about a year ago and uh we uh, met another Air Force Academy grad, <laughs> Mike Thurtle, who uh, went, he was in the Air Force um, for about 22 years. Then he went into business and worked for the Rand Corporation for about a dozen years. And then he ended up going into nonprofit mm -hmm. and uh, uh, taking the chief executive officer position at uh, uh, a nonprofit called Bethesda Lutheran Communities, which is they build these special homes for very, very disabled uh, people, very, you know, mentally challenged, disabled folks, um, people dealing with autism and all kinds of different difficult things, very, very vulnerable part of our population. And they operate in 13 different states around the country with the, you know, 4,000 employees. So Mike has had his hands full, um, you know, in nonprofit, running a nonprofit. And he comes to us with military experience and business experience. So uh, we were hoping that uh, out of those three, we might get two out of three. And we got, uh, we got, we hit the trifecta there. I think uh, we've got somebody who's bringing a lot of experience from a lot of different areas. We're very excited. He takes com command in, uh, in mid July. And uh, we're very, very grateful, obviously, to my friend Robin Rand for all he's done, you know, to help us in these in the in the past two and a half years. Uh, not only that, but for his 40 years of service in the Air Force, um, you know, he's he's leaving the foundation uh, at, uh, you know, in good hands. 
and he's uh, in transition right now. He's been through the change of command many times before. <laughs> Absolutely. So he knows how to do this, and, and uh, we're very, very happy that uh, we were able to find Mike and that he's coming in. Yeah, sounds like Mike will be a great addition to the team. Um, let's talk about uh, your – well, maybe let's, let's talk about um, the last year. Uh, I know we're not quite post-pandemic, but how challenging has it been for you personally and for the foundation dealing with uh, the pandemic over the, the last year? Well, prior to 2020 and, and, and uh, what happened with uh, the virus and everything like that, it was, it was nonstop for me. Um, uh, you, can, you can look at the service history page on the website of the Gary Sinise Foundation. You can track all my travels and all my events and all my concerts and all that stuff. And you can look at those months and, and years, and it's just, it's very, very busy. Um, and then the virus hit and we had a full year of, of travel and uh, events planned that I was going to personally participate in. Uh, well, we had to shut down a lot of that travel for the team and events that I was doing. There were multiple concerts on the schedule at, at military bases all around the country. Lots of difficult things. Uh, are lots of uh, interesting things and places that I've been and places that I haven't been. But when the pandemic hit, uh, we shut our travel down uh, very quickly, um, had to had to shift gears. And so we created a we created a campaign where we wanted to we wanted to be a part of the fight and be a part of the solution in supporting our first responders and our healthcare workers. So we created the the emergency COVID-19 combat service and uh, raised an additional one, uh, roughly $1.5 million just to support our frontline workers in the fight against COVID-19 around the country. And we've, we've supported uh, dozens and dozens of hospitals and, and uh, first responder departments all across the country. So we, we kind of shifted our gears a little bit kept doing some of the things that uh, that we could but a lot of the things you know we we do are on military bases and, and whatnot and they were all shutting down their operations as well so we had to kind of figure out well how are we going to still be in the game here and still be in the fight and we actually uh, raised more money in 2020 than we did in in uh, 2019 and we kept going um, nonstop. We've got a great team of people that uh, are operating all over, and it's starting to starting to gear up again. We're starting to do some events. Uh, things are things are coming back together, and we we anticipate that come fall, I'll be able to do a few concerts here and there, and we'll and we'll you know start ramping it up again. Yeah, I think that's a great sign of 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 leadership is when you can pivot. So between yourself and 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 General Rand. Uh, being able to not be crippled uh, by by the pandemic and pivot uh, and continue to do the things that are important. But but I am interested because one of the things that, uh, you know, I've spent a majority of my career, especially late in my career, talking to service members about was 
balance, harmony, how, however you want to refer to it. And, and you mentioned uh, your travel schedule, how busy you were and how often you were on the road. Uh, what advice would you give to, to senior leaders who, who keep, uh, and you spent enough time around uh, wing commanders and generals in, in the military, who keep a really busy and hectic schedule? What advice would you give to them and what things have you done uh, to maintain some type of harmony, balance, um, with your family, between your personal and your professional life? Gosh, I'd like to ask them for advice. <laughs> on that. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, coming from the acting business, um, you know, for many, many years, I was, I was kind of used to traveling and, and trying to balance out the family travel. I would go, sometimes I would, uh, have to leave town to go six months and do a play or something on Broadway. And I would figure out the way, well, I didn't want to uproot the family and take them to just sit around in an apartment all day long while I'm doing my play. So we would, we would balance it out. We would bring them for periods of time. Uh, you know, when I was plopping myself down uh, for six months at a time, same thing on movie sets. Um, you know, they wouldn't want to necessarily, necessarily always come and, and just be there uh, with me for three months. Sometimes we would bring them for periods of time. They'd come for two weeks and then go home for a bit and then come again. And we break it up a little bit. I, I know our service members sometimes, uh, you know, can't do that. Like there are places where you get deployed where it's like families are off limits. You can't bring them. You got to go and just serve for a year or whatever it is and be away from your family. So that can be difficult. Little, little bit easier in the 21st century with Zooming and FaceTiming and all of that. Right. That was 40 years ago when you'd get deployed and, and you just have to write letters or the occasional phone call or something like that. But nonetheless, you know, when you're away from your family, it can be difficult. You have to find those ways uh, to balance it. And then, uh, since I've been traveling for the troops uh, these past 20, 25 years and, and trying to balance that with a television series and shooting all that, a uh, little, little bit tricky, but I have a tremendously supportive family and, and, and I have spent a lot of time on the road going here, there and everywhere for the, for the military and the veteran community. And with veterans in our own family and my wife with her two Vietnam veteran brothers and her sister serving in the army and marrying a Vietnam veteran, we have, uh, we have great respect for veterans. She's always been totally supportive of me doing the work to support our military. So, um, I, you know, so many times I would just tell her, I, I booked another thing. I got to go for 10 days. Uh, um, you know, I'm going to hit, you know, uh, eight, eight military bases and go to different hospitals and whatever it is. And she would always just tell me, tell me to go do it. She was, she's been behind me 100, 1000 percent. Uh, you know, when I look at some of it, I was away a lot when my kids were younger. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing that you do do is when you are with them, it's family first quality time. Uh, you can't, you can't get that time back. Uh, so you, you must spend 
as as much uh, of that time engaged and uh, and loving that family as possible. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Is you know having a good support structure, you know, your family, your spouse, your your kids, and the team around you. I think is is critically important when you keep a, a schedule like yourself. You know, I also found. Uh, probably like you, I, I spent um, in the last few years of my career, I spent about 290 days a year on the road. And and uh, in the first couple of years, what was lapsing was my personal um, care. You know, I wasn't eating right. I was eating a lot of junk food and kind of eating on the go. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't exercising regularly. And, and oh, so I, I know that. <laughs> I know that junk food in the, in the hotel room thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so I think, uh, again, I, I encourage leaders uh, to take care of themselves personally. No so question. They can continue to take care of uh, the service members like, like you've done uh, for so long. It's easy to forget about that, you know, because you're so busy and, and whatnot. But you do, have to, you do have to prioritize and carve out that time. It's, it's that thing about putting the oxygen mask on yourself. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. On somebody else, you know, if you if you don't put it on yourself, you can pass out, and you're not going to help anybody. Absolutely, that that is a great analogy. Uh, tell me about uh, Lieutenant Dan and and how uh, and if uh, it was a life changing role, and if it if it was, you know how how so? Yeah, no no question. It it, it changed a lot of different things. It changed uh, it changed the the it changed my career trajectory. Um, because it was such a popular film. And uh, up until that point, Forrest Gump came out in 1994. And I didn't, I didn't really start doing films until just a few years before that. So I had only done a few things. Mm-hmm. And so I was not uh, well known, uh, you know, by a wide audience or anything in the, in the theater business. I was, I, I was, I had done pretty well because I had a, I started a theater company called Steppenwolf and it was very, you know, it was a popular theater company in the country and we had some success on Broadway and off Broadway and, you know, around the world, different places. But uh, when you're in the movie business and you're successful there, those, that's international thing, you know, those movies go everywhere and, and it can change life. And when you're in a, in a popular one, like Forrest Gump, that, is seen by so many people. Um, it can it can change everything, and it and it did for me. I was nominated for an Oscar. You know, I'd only done a few movies before that, so it it really changed a lot. And then I started getting a lot of film work after that. Uh, I was in Apollo thirteen with Tom Hanks and uh, Ransom and The Green Mile, and um, I did the miniseries called The Stand, the Stephen King miniseries. A lot of different things changed. Um, but it also changed um, and, and kind of teed up this work for our disabled and military veterans. Lieutenant Dan, of course, is a, is a, is a wounded veteran, uh, double amputee, um, at that time, when the, about a month after the movie came out, I was contacted by the Disabled American Veterans Organization. Uh, they've been around for 90 years or almost 100 years now, and um, they've been supporting our wounded, you know, going back to the First World War. And, um, 
they contacted me and said they wanted to give me an award for playing a disabled veteran. And so I went to their convention. In fact, I, the very first part of my book is a description of going to this convention and walking out on stage and then seeing 2000 wounded veterans out there applauding. And I was, uh, and from that moment on, it, it changed so much for me. And I, I began to support the DAV uh, regularly. Uh, then September 11th happened and having veterans in my family going back to the 70s and 80s and uh, then Forrest Gump in the 90s and everything. I was just teed up to try to support the men and women who were deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan after September 11th. And I was, I, quite frankly, uh, that event, like, like so many of us, it just scared the hell out of me. What? what where is the world going now when terrorists can hijack airplanes and crash them into our buildings and and anthrax is now going through the mail remember that oh yeah and it was like what's going on and and what are we facing is our terrorists going to come across the border with a backpack full of anthrax and dump it in some city and have it blow around and i mean it was a paranoid time it was a hard time yet yet what was happening was our military was responding deploying to Afghanistan, deploying to Iraq shortly after that. But we were also losing people mm -hmm. in, and, and they were getting hurt and they were getting killed and their families were struggling. And I, I didn't want, and my heart was broken during that time. And I just wanted to be a part of supporting my country. And I thought the way that I could do that was by supporting you and your fellow defenders who were who were out there responding to this stuff and and what could, what can I do and one of the first things you, you know an actor can do is call up the USO and say hey <laughs> I'm here um, show me the way where do I go and so it's interest it's interesting if you look online you'll see that that very first tour that I'm talking about right now I I called them up and they sent me on the very first USO tour to Iraq after the invasion happened. The invasion started in March of 2003, and I was there in June of 2003, uh, not too long after. Do you remember when that statue of Saddam Hussein, where they tied that chain around it and the army pulled it down with a tank? Yeah. That was in April of 2003, and I was, I was in Baghdad two months later. Wow. So that started just a, a ton of work and I haven't, haven't stopped since. So having, and to answer your question, Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan changed a lot of different things. And, uh, and, and, and I'll always be grateful to Lieutenant Dan and that I got the chance to play that role because it, it became more than just a movie part. You know, it became something that the military could relate to. Uh, I would walk into a hospital and there would be a double amputee laying in the bed who was blown up about four weeks before. And he'd look at me and a big smile come on his face and he'd call me Lieutenant Dan. And it, it just kept me coming back. Yeah. I mean, I think, like I mentioned before, we're all forever grateful for uh, not just Lieutenant Dan, but what uh, that character inspired you to become. And, 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 and I know you probably uh, hear people say it and you probably say it. And I think I heard you say it to me 
uh, earlier, thank you for your service. I want to say thank you for your service and, and all the things that you've done for uh, all of our service members. You know, you've had a, a an amazing uh, career just full of um, taking care of people who put their lives on the line. I wonder, you know, do you have any do-overs? Do you have any things that, you know, you left on the field that you wish you could have done or, or would have done um, throughout your career, throughout your life? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's been, it, it, it's, it, it's, I wish I could do more. <laughs> That's kind of the way I feel uh, all the time. I, I, I think that, that we could, you know, a lot of people need help. I've been blessed. Um, you know, we've certainly had our own family struggles and challenges. Some, some I write about in Grateful American and some very, very difficult times as a family. Um, but I, and, and, you know, we, we all go through challenges. I, I kind of always try to look at the blessings too and count those. And uh, I've been blessed in so many ways, even with the challenging times and the issues that our family has faced that have been difficult. You know, on the other hand, you know, there's been there's been a lot of good things that have happened uh, through the course of, of my life and um, a lot of wonderful people that I've met. I, I try to keep my my eye on that ball. And and that certainly helps you get through the uh, the next battle zone for sure to get to the other side, because, you know, there's there's good things that uh, are around you and good blessings that you've you've had and good people that you've you've met along the way. Yeah, I get that question quite often, and uh, I, mostly I answer it with, I try to live with no regrets. Uh, there's certainly things that uh, I think I could have done better and and uh, things that I maybe wish I could have done or, or should have done, but mostly I uh, I, uh, I look to the future, and uh, you know, uh, I know in life you don't really get many do-overs, and uh, I just kind of appreciate the, the great things. That I, I, I do. I, I do the same. I mean, I mean, I could I could dwell on all the stuff that I'm not so uh, happy about from the past. But what good does that do? <laughs> I wrote about some of it in my book. You can read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good. Um, any any parting words for our audience? Again, I, you know, you've done done so much. Uh, for all of us and and on behalf of all of the men and women who have served and who continue to serve, uh, I just want to say thank you. But uh, I'd love for you to uh, give us any parting words or any parting thoughts that you might have uh, for, for us. Well, thank you, uh, Galif, for ha having me today. And um, look, um, the, when I started to write my book, I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be called. I wasn't necessarily sure what it was going to be about. I just started telling stories and, and started looking at things. And then it turned into uh, the autobiography that it became. But also there were a couple of themes that just kept popping out. And one was just gratitude. Gratitude. And... I, as I started to reread the book and rewrite it here and there, that 
that emotion, that feeling, that value kept jumping off the page at me. And, and I said, you know, that's, I'm a grateful American for many, many things, uh, especially for my freedom and uh, for the men and women who provide that for me. And the story is a journey from self to service and how I came to kind of realize that uh, over time. You know, I've had a lot of blessings in my life, as I said, you know, challenges, yes, but, but many blessings. And I don't think enough people, you know, um, I, or I don't, I can't say that, but what I would say is I know what it's done for me to kind of look at the grateful side of my life mm -hmm. and focus on that instead of um, the, the things that can drag you down, the things that can really, um, you know, slow you down. This life is, you know, it's finite. I mean, it's, 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 we're here and then we're gone. So what's in between? Um, how, what, what do you want to, what do you want to take from that, that life? What do you want to live within that life? And, you know, I, like I said, you know, there, there are many people that go through very, very challenging times. And, you know, in, in so many ways, I, I think the challenging times that we face as a family and that we're, that are ongoing, uh, I've learned so much from the Americans that I've seen facing those challenges within the military hospitals and, and the caregiving that goes on with our service members and the perseverance that they, that they have. And so I am, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I've been allowed to come into the military community, be embraced by it and, and allowed in so that I could actually witness what our military goes through and then go out and talk about it and write about it as I did in Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. Um, I'm grateful for you my friend, and for your fellow service members. I'm grateful for the freedom that you provide uh, voluntarily. You didn't have to sign up. I mean, it's a job. Yes, you have a job. You get paid for it and everything like that. But, you know, it's a, it's a voluntary job to defend our country. It's, it can be a dangerous job. And uh, you sign on the dotted line that you're willing to sacrifice everything to secure the freedom for your country. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you. And, and if, I could, if I could say that over and over and over to you and your fellow service members uh, today, I would, but it would take too much time. So just know that I'm a grateful American uh, yeah. for, for you and all you've done for our country. Yeah, well, Gary, you know, again, thank you. Uh, you you've done more than, than you can imagine for all of us. Uh, again, not just as service members, but our first responders and certainly for our uh, disabled uh, veterans and disabled Americans. And, and we all just appreciate you so much. Um, you, you heard it here. here. Here's the book. If you hadn't got a copy of Grateful American, 
uh, Journey from Self to Service, please pick up a copy. Um, it'll take you through a, a, a soiree, I would say, of emotions. You'll you'll laugh, you'll cry uh, <laughs> a, a, a little bit, but uh, it's a it's a wonderful work, and it, it just speaks volumes about uh, the man that that you are. And 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 again, on behalf of Air Force A Society. Uh, all of our service members, all of our disabled veterans and all of our first responders, I, I want to say thank you for joining us today. And uh, perhaps because we're somewhat in the same business of taking care of people, uh, that's what Air Force Aid Society and, and the other sister uh, service uh, relief societies do. Perhaps uh, we can uh, partner and, and, and do some business together uh, to continue helping service members and, and veterans. So, uh, Gary, again, thanks. And uh uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to connect here soon. Thank you. God bless. All right. This is Kay Wright, your CEO of Air Force Aid Society, signing off with another uh, wonderful episode of Airman Helping Airman podcast. And we will see you on the next show. <laughs>